Welcome to The Infinite Jungle, a podcast about the evolution of Ethereum. I'm Christine Kim, VP of Research at Galaxy, and this is the very first episode of the show. I'm so excited to be launching this podcast. As you can tell, it's a little bit different from the uh, Galaxy podcast, Galaxy Brains. It's got a different vibe. We have very jungle themes going on here, um, and I have dressed in a special way for this episode. I may not do this all the time, um, but today is a special day. Um, we're launching the very first episode, and um, we've got a really jam-packed show for you today. Um, we're going to be starting off with a summary of the all-core developer consensus call, number 126. It will forever, in my mind, be a very special call because this is... This is the call is what we're going to be talking about on the very first episode of Infinite Jungle. Um, and then we have a special guest joining us for the second half of the show. One of my dearly beloved colleagues here at Galaxy. Um, her name's Yi Tong and she um, works for the Galaxy Ventures team. Um, so excited for her to be joining us. And we're going to talk about what we think are going to be the big narratives and trends for the Ethereum ecosystem in 2024. Um, so thank you. Thank you for joining me for the first episode. So excited to, to get into all things Ethereum um, and all things Ethereum development and growth and evolution. I need to remind you to please refer to the disclaimer linked in the podcast show notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice, an offer, recommendation, or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Let's get started. A little bit of a summary and some major takeaways from what happened yesterday on all core developer consensus number 126. Um, as you can see, I have my notes. Well, if you're listening to the podcast, I have my notes in front of me. Um, you can find all these notes, the full summary of what happened um, on yesterday's dev call on galaxy.com. I write weekly summaries of what happens on these calls. Um, but for today's episode, I'm going to give you a really short summary and some insights and takeaways that you won't be finding in that blog um, because this podcast is all about, you know, keeping things short, but also offering some more opinionated and insight driven takes. So quick summary. Yesterday on the call, developers basically talked about what EAPs, what code changes would be prioritized for the next Ethereum upgrade, um, Prog Electra. Right now, developers have not implemented or activated um, the Denkun upgrade, which is the next immediate upgrade that will be launching on Ethereum mainnet, um, potentially um, this March. But all of the big pieces for that upgrade, the Denkun upgrade, have been more or less settled. Um, the testing that goes into the Denkun upgrade, um, the EAPs, which are the EIPs, Ethereum Improvement Proposals that are going into Denkun have already been finalized. Um, they've been implemented in various clients and really developers are just doing the finishing touches on the upgrade. Um, so there's really not that much more that developers can do. They've already set the dates for the final two test nets where the Denkun upgrade is going to be activated before mainnet. All they really have to do now is 
watch those upgrades go live on the Sepolia and Holsky test nets. And if all goes well, then set a date for um, when the Denkun upgrade is going to go live on Ethereum mainnet, which um, I expect to be sometime in March. Um, granted, if there's no unexpected issues or bugs that they find on the Sepolia and the Holsky test nets. Um, so all this to say, there's really not that much that needs to still be done um, developer work-wise for the Denkun upgrade, which is why on yesterday's call, it was the very first call where the consensus layer clients really dug into what should be prioritized for the upgrade after Denkun um, called Prague Electra. And when I say consensus layer clients, because this is obviously the first episode of the show, and sometimes I'm going to be using terminology that maybe not all our, all our listeners or viewers know. Um, Ethereum, ever since it transitioned to a proof-of-stake protocol, consensus protocol now has essentially two layers, two core protocols. One of them is the execution layer, which is Ethereum mainnet. Ever since you know it launched, it's been the blockchain, the general, the first, the very first general purpose blockchain in the world. Um, that is now called the execution layer. It's has all of the, the users and the accounts and the smart contracts, all of the, the execution of transactions um, and activity happens on the execution layer. Um, but ever since Ethereum transitioned to a proof of stake consensus mechanism, um, a new layer has been added to the Ethereum protocol, and that is called the consensus layer. This is how the blockchain comes to consensus, how Ethereum comes to consensus about what is the finalized record of transactions, the finalized balance of user accounts, um, and all of the validators, wh who are the new block producers of the network, are all from the consensus layer. They are all organized on the consensus layer. Um, so this to say there's an execution layer and there's a consensus layer, and they were merged together when Ethereum transitioned to a proof-of-stake blockchain. And now that we have these two layers that are merged and Many people listening to this podcast, maybe if you already have a background or have been following Ethereum for a while, know that the upgrade was called the merge, um, essentially because we're merging, you know, existing Ethereum with this, um, with the consensus layer, which is also sometimes called the beacon chain. Um, wow, so many, so many terms um, that I just usually breeze by. But just in case, for listeners of the first episode, I really want to make sure that you guys are following and tracking with what I'm saying. And, and we'll maybe go over these terms again at some point um, on a later episode. Episode. But anyways, let's let's get going. Um, so yes, so we have the consensus layer and the execution layer. And before Ethereum transitioned as a proof of state consensus mechanism, you really essentially only needed to upgrade one layer. You just had Ethereum, which was the execution layer. But since the merge, now you have two layers, which is why we now have this dual naming system for upgrades. We have the upgrade that's going to happen on the execution layer, which is Prague, yes, Prague. And then we have the upgrade that's going to happen on the consensus layer, which is Electra. And the combined name of these two upgrades, developers haven't really determined it, but I'm just going to say it here and now. It's probably Pectra. Um, the combined name for this upgrade is, is Pectra. And yesterday, um, the consensus layer client teams talked about what consensus layer focused EIPs should be included in the Electra upgrade. Last week's call was about what um, EIP should be included in the execution layer upgrade, PROG. Um, so if you're interested in learning a little bit more about what EIPs are likely to be included in the PROG upgrade, um, check out last week's um, write-up summary of that call. But this week, 
yesterday, because um, we're recording this on Friday, um, a day after the developer call happened. Developers talked about you know what code changes should be included in the consensus layer upgrade. And that is what we're gonna be talking about today. <laughs> that is what we're summarizing today. Um, it was a pretty um, spicy call. It was a lot of debate, um, and this happens all the time. This happens literally all the time for before um, an Ethereum upgrade, the scope of the Ethereum upgrade is settled. Ethereum usually has so many priorities, so many different exciting ways in which the blockchain could be made better. Um, scalability upgrades, ways to improve censorship resistance, ways to improve the user experience on Ethereum. And there's always very fierce, heated discussions about what should be prioritized, what is timely, and what has to be cut out because developers do not have the bandwidth to include every little thing that they want to um, into an upgrade. So I wasn't surprised that there was quite a lot of discussion on yesterday's call, but I was quite surprised at the leaning of developers on which um, code changes they were they were leaning towards. So getting into it, um, three EIPs were confirmed for inclusion in Electra, EIP 6110, which appends validator deposits to execution layer blocks. And the motivation for this code change is basically to reduce the complexity of client software and improve uh, validator user experience. So, and it also has some security benefits. So it sounded to me like um, not a, a major code change for the consensus layer, but one that would give some improvements to... Um, to protocol complexity on the consensus layer, which is something we all want because ever since the merge, it's like complexity doubled. You have the execution layer and the consensus layer and all of them working together. Um, so EIP 6110, um, kind of a nice little way to, to improve how the consensus layer works and uh, give a bit more simplicity and some security benefits. Um, so that one makes sense, sort of, because um, we're going to get into some of the other ones that developers um, that developers are thinking potentially to deprioritize. Um, second one, second EAP that was um, included, EIP 7002, execution layer triggerable exits. This one is a pretty important one in my mind. Um, this one basically allows validators to be able to um, trigger exits, basically trigger complete withdrawals of their stake, um, leaving the network, basically shutting down their operations. So a good way to explain EIP 7002, and I'm actually stealing this from Danny Ryan, who chairs the calls, because he gave pretty much an excellent explanation for this um, right at the call. Um, so this is not my explanation, but um, it's a good one, and it makes sense. When you run a validator on Ethereum, you operate that validator with two keys, two cryptographic keys. There's the active key, which you use when you're you're fulfilling the responsibilities of the validator, proposing blocks and attesting to different blocks. And then you have a second key, which is called the withdrawal credentials. And that those credentials ultimately control your stake. Ever since the launch of the beacon chain, um, only the active key, only the key that you use to... Um, actively fulfill the responsibilities of a validator can trigger exits. So if that active key is lost or if there's some sort of more dynamic relationship between who owns that key and who owns the withdrawal credentials, um, you could have some serious issues. And the reason why this matters um, broadly, not just for people who lose their keys, but also for smart contracts that take ownership 
of validators on behalf of users. So staking pools that are trying to uh, minimize the amount of trust that you need in a centralized party to be able to delegate your stake to um, another more kind of professional staking node operator. You want to be able to trigger an exit with your withdrawal key that you own. And maybe the active key is held by a smart contract or held by um, a node operator that is, you know, actively running that validator on your behalf. Um, so EIP 7002, the ability to be able to trigger exits with um, with not just the active key, but also with the withdrawal key, that's another kind of major important code change that is um, going into, to that seems like it's going into the Electra upgrade that developers are leaning towards prioritizing for Electra. Um, and then the third EAP, the third um, code change that developers were very excited about including for um, Electra was EIP 7549, which um, is kind of another um, more housekeeping item that um, clears up some technical debt uh, that the consensus layer has and is a pretty minor change that only requires changes to the consensus layer. So the first two EAPs that I mentioned, it would require um, some changes and some updates from execution layer client teams on the on the EL. Um, so it's very simple in scope, something that developers agreed could be done um, fairly quickly. And and those were the three. Those are the three that developers were leaning towards. Now getting into some of the ones that that developers were more hesitant about or or flat out kind of um, thinking that they wouldn't include in, in Electra were certain code changes like um, Increasing the max maximum effective balance for validators from 32 ETH to 22 to 2,048 ETH, and um, inclusion lists and data availability sampling, which is kind of a, like a scalability upgrade. Um, so there were some pretty other like big ticket items that were um, that developers just weren't sure about including, primarily because of the complexity of these other code changes that would be a bigger lift for developers to um, work on. And um, just because of limited time, and I want to be able to, to leave enough time for our really amazing guest that's coming on for the first episode of this show, I encourage people to, to take a look and read um, the content of those bigger code changes. Because while it does increase, you know, probably the time it takes for Electra to go live on mainnet, like maybe it doesn't happen this year, but next year, they are very important code changes. I would argue more important code changes than some of the ones that were approved for Electra um, during yesterday's call. Um, and EIP 7002, the execution layer triggerable exits, that one is an EIP that's um, necessary for um, increasing the maximum effective balance, which would ensure that the validator set size doesn't grow too large and and present problems to the network. Um, so before we get into to some of these more technical things um, on the show, and, and we'll de definitely continue to talk about Electra, um, given that this was the first call where developers were talking about it, they're really just going through these, these code changes, giving their initial thoughts. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it more in future calls yet to come. Um, for this upcoming week's um, dev call, developers are, are going to focus on priorities for the execution layer again. This is going to be a multi-call, you know, topic. So, um, you know, I'm excited to continue to get into it with you. If you're interested in in really diving into Ethereum protocol development, how how 
people decide what changes to Ethereum should be prioritized, what's going to go into the Netflix upgrade, be sure to continue tuning in to this series. I'm going to be talking about it and covering it every single week. Um, so with that, let's move on to the next um, next part of our show. Um, I'm going to be having Yi Tong from Galaxy Ventures to join me um, for the very first episode of Infinite Jungle. She's a colleague that I really, that I respect so much and that I've had the pleasure of being able to work with, um, discuss different ideas about Ethereum governance with. Um, so let's get her on the show. Welcome back to the show. We are back with the Infinite Jungle, very first episode and very first guest, um, Yi Tong from Galaxy Ventures. I'm so, so glad that you're joining me, Yi. Truly, I couldn't have planned it a better way. Yi is one of my favorite people at Galaxy. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, thanks, Christine, for the invite. You know, it's fun to do my very first uh, podcast also for myself uh, with my work best friend. So, you know, it's fun. Yes, yes. We're going to try and keep it a little more fun, lighter for the second half of the show, um, because I just did my very first kind of spiel about all core developer calls. And they can be very technical and mm -hmm. like a little bit... Um, drier in nature so i want to try and keep this a little bit more lively <laughs> like keep the listeners in yeah, um, definitely. so yeah well i mean why don't we first start with just explaining to to our audience too a little bit about how you got into the space how you got um came to galaxy ventures a little bit of background on um on yeah what you do yeah uh happy to so i discovered bitcoin i guess back in college and then a little bit giveaway i guess when there's a um, Bitcoin Expo um, event, and then uh, a lot of people just use the Bitcoin that they got for, uh, you know, boba tea and coffee. And I vividly remember that there was like a, a cafe near the campus, and then people were, you know, um, using, I guess, the cafe as a way to offload the Bitcoin because they take Bitcoin as a payment, but their offering got broken. And then apparently that owner make a lot of money because they didn't, you know, offload in time. And Wait, then, what so year was this? I think it was 2014, 2013. Bitcoin Expo in 2014. No, it was not a like official uh, expo because um, I was taking some class at MIT back then. Uh, and then uh, I think they had a whole event on campus. And then so I think that was kind of like the very beginning of like, oh, people are actually using the token to do something. And then, um, you know, and things are breaking and things are breaking. And that was like more of a social experiment um, done by multiple um, people um, in the space early and then multiple OGs. And then so I think that was a very first time for a lot of like non-crypto people to get to know what, a, what what is this, right? What is this Internet fake money? Yeah, yeah. And once you kind of, you know, found out about Bitcoin then, what kind of how did you break into the crypto industry? I feel like people tell me so many kind of interesting stories, I should yeah. say, mm -hmm. about how the crypto industry is a lot more um, it's a lot more. It's not like you apply with a resume and then you go through a couple rounds of interviews and then you start as an intern and then you move your way up. Like there's no like career path for like working yeah. in the industry. So I yeah. feel like everyone's paths are very unique. How yeah. did you break in? I think it's more about everyone started day trading a little bit and definitely with failures and then with non-sleeping and uh, I guess back in the ICO booms. And then, uh, you know, when first uh, CryptoKitties start coming out, there are a lot of new things going on. And then you obviously want to know more and want to see, you know, how to get more involved and how to learn more about the technology behind it. And I think that's kind of the starting point. And then uh, after that, I uh, got an opportunity to work a little bit uh, officially at Coinbase and then get more 
um, I guess, holistic view on how the ecosystem, like what what are the different parts that people care about and working on, and then how do you bring more retail users to understand more about the use cases? How do we actually think about decentralized finance? How do we think about making you know a better financial tooling accessible for every people, like for all the people in the world? And then I think that's kind of the starting point. And then uh, I guess how I got into crypto, uh, crypto venture is more because. Um, I was also thinking about doing projects and then I got to like learn a bit more about like building and also like how do I actually, you know, scale that ability and then to learn more about um, working with multiple projects and then have the ability to talk to, um, you know, Galaxy Venture at the time. And within kind of your venture journey, how did you gravitate towards um, things, topics like ZK, like zero knowledge and um, more kind of like what's happening in the application layer of Ethereum. Because mm-hmm. I, f- I think um, we have, you know, your posts mm-hmm. on talking about zero knowledge technology mm-hmm. um, on galaxy.com for people who want to check it out. Um, but also I've just had conversations with you about different uh, roll-up projects that are being built on Ethereum mm-hmm. and your knowledge of what's going on in Ethereum is so deep. Like how did you kind of like gravitate and specialize in, in this part of ventures? I'm sure there's just, you know, oh, no, overflowing amount of of of, pro- of projects and different like um different like mini industries that you could kind of specialize in like mm-hmm. why why um why zero knowledge why ethereum why why applications yeah uh i think i'm not a maxi by any means but i'm also like um just kind of driven by interest i discovered uh zk i guess in when i was visiting zuzalu and then there are a whole series of zk workshop and a lot of cryptographers were there and then they're talking about what they've been working on and the applications and uh, what zk means for you know for l2s for ethereums uh what does it mean for itself standalone and then i think i learned a lot through that process and then um also like in, I guess in that time period, I realized that it's actually a, a great way to uh, for us to be able to think about scaling solution for Ethereum and then how we can actually start to think about doing a lot of the off, off-chain compute but are able to prove what have happened off-chain and settle that back on-chain. So I think these are like, how do you actually verify things that have happened elsewhere but be able to utilize that results confidently? And then so these are kind of like the, the initial like... Um, sparkles that get me more interested and then uh, I guess diving deeper into that and then obviously you know comparing uh, optimistic roll-up and ZK roll-up where the ZK roll-up costs are intrinsically higher because you have verification costs uh, that got me thinking you know how can we make it more accessible for for every everyday usage and then how do people are like how can people confidently use um, ZK proofs for different application when when things like you want to verify your age, you want to verify um, your, like, identity, you want to, you know, uh, show who you are without having to show people your driver's license, your passport, but you're, you want to contribute that piece of data so that you're qualified for something, so you're able to unlock some new identity, new uh, utility on-chain, and then be able to interact with other applications to consume that as input. I think that's super powerful and then, you know, enables users to kind of access a wider range of, uh, wider range of use cases. You are asking all the right questions. <laughs> you have the mind of a researcher, Yi, <laughs> truly. Um, and I do want to go into a little bit of your takeaways for this year, mm-hmm. um, especially what you think are going to be the biggest questions for Ethereum, any kind of insights you have on um, 
you know, developments in the ZK space that we might see this year, any improvements mm-hmm. to scalability we might see this year. Mm-hmm. Would love your take on rollups. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing I want to double click on that you yes. said <laughs> that our <laughs> listeners probably might not know, uh-huh. but is actually a very unique and kind of strange thing. Um, the Zuzalu conference. Yes. What is that? And just explain it. Like, explain what happened, like, what it is to, to our audience. I would not call it a conference. Okay, it's not I a think, conference. Yeah, it's more of, um, I, I mean, I think some people call it network state. I think it just, uh, you know, a time and place where people, I guess it's kind of like a capsule and then um, very remote. And then everyone are able to chat freely about what they build on. Uh, not not even necessarily in crypto, but they just are able to kind of live together, get to know each other, and then collaborate more freely without agenda, and then to chat more about what actually motivate them as human being, and then to share their research, to share their lifestyle, to share their thesis, and then uh, collaborate. And I feel like that's actually, you know, you're going in not knowing what it is. And then I think everyone's experience there is different, but ultimately your takeaway is that you able you're able to learn a lot more that you don't even know that you want to learn. And then I feel like exploring the unknown unknown that's super exciting for me. And then obviously we met a lot of like really amazing people there, and then uh, are able to learn a lot more about you know deeper, um, deeper, um, harder like academic questions that you know people are actively working on and you are able to scratch the surface and then to learn more about okay how do we actually integrate it in real life how do we think about the existing bottlenecks that we have uh, with all the um, you know all the questions that we've been thinking on ethereum or on other chains like why are we thinking about like how are we thinking about like roll-up wars right mm-hmm. if there's a war and then um Oh, there so definitely like, is. <laughs> I know. I feel bad saying that. And then, um, so like, I think this is kind of like how, how I guess how how we kind of compartmentalize about all different um, active solutions that people are working on, and then marry that with all the potential, um, I guess, like uh, interesting solution uh, that people are actually needing, and then how do we kind of market make that. That sounds very fun, but also the first thing that I was thinking when I heard about Zuzalu and, yeah. you know, people, Ethereum researchers and developers and, and different people in our ecosystem mm-hmm. just up and leaving for a month mm-hmm. and like going to a completely new country. I think it was in Montenegro yeah. this year. Yeah. Um, I was like, that do you guys not have full-time jobs? Like, what about your families? What about your life? Like, you're just going to up and leave? Yeah. <laughs> but I hear you. I hear it's like a, a nice little... Um, pop-up community <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a very idealistic pop-up community and i think everyone had a lot of fun mm. um yeah i wish i was able to stay longer but um obviously, would you go again this year i would love to if it happens yeah, yeah i would love to mm. is yeah. it gonna happen do you know oh i think it's happening and i think it's happening at different form like i guess different form factor because i think there was smaller um like hacker week in singapore and there's like different events so i think there's like a whole suite of events but i don't know when the official event is going to happen okay yeah i'm definitely looking forward to devcon this year which is a conference and is more what you're thinking when i say the word conference Uh, (laughs) very very vanilla you know i mean i guess not vanilla in the sense that it's a conference about ethereum which Mm -hmm. is an infant in a jungle, haha. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is kind of a crazy, um, wild technology. Um, yeah. But a conference in the sense that there's like speakers and talks and, and main mm-hmm. stage keynotes, whatever firesides. Um, anyways, okay, yeah. that was a little bit of sidebar. However, let's get back into 
what we're what um, you're kind of um, predicting for this year for the Ethereum ecosystem. Ooh, we're going back to um, the prediction market. Yes. <laughs> well, nobody make any bets off of this. Um, not this financial is advice. Not financial advice. Um, but you are so knowledgeable on what's going on in the ecosystem, and I feel like you are asking the right questions of of you know, why this technology matters, how it, what are the trade-offs and benefits with other technologies? Um, and you had mentioned, you know, there definitely is a roll-up war. We are going to say the quiet thing loudly in, yeah, on this podcast. Exactly. Um, what do you think is going to happen with kind of like the broad evolution of the Layer 2 ecosystem mm-hmm. um, on Ethereum? What are your predictions about where the ZK, um, where ZK Tech is going to be, you know, most used, where the narrative around ZK is going to be yeah. um, kind of taking off this year? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we are getting a lot more roll-up and then there are a lot more TV out, regardless whether it's a good benchmark or not. But, you know, there's significant, a lot more um, development that's happening. And then a lot of things that we hypothesized on a couple of years back is now becoming reality. And then a lot of things are going into production. So I think all in all, super exciting progress. And then I can't believe this is the reality that we live in right now. And, are you thinking um, about ZK EVMs or are you thinking about something else? Like no, scroll? I just think that like in general, we're, you know, seeing the standardization of L2 and the customization at the same time. And then uh, obviously there's a lot of roll up as a service and then people are embracing the modularity paradigm mm. and then thinking about how can you customize each layer in like um, data availability, execution and settlement. And then the ultimate question of like which layer will accrue more value and then, um, like, how do you think about, like, how do you choose your stack and how do you differentiating from other L2? I think these are the questions that people are constantly thinking about. And then, obviously, like, thinking about, like, how like how do you choose as a dApp developer, right? Um, do we, you know, ultimately face the problem of, like, fragmenting liquidity and then you're choosing one over the other? Or there's going to be better interoperability across rollups, so ultimately you will be able to deploy to multiple chain and then have users in each pod in some sense? So I think these are kind of open questions, which I don't have a good answer to. But I think... Um, I can see a way where, you know, there will be more use case specific roll up that could be more appealing to existing businesses that with a lot of users already. Mm-hmm. And then because of the setup of the roll up is suitable for their traffic, for their user pattern, for their demographic, and then they will have incentive to migrate towards certain L2s over the others. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that modularity the way that people are really warming up to this idea of modularity and like mm-hmm. and, and expanding the layer two ecosystem, thinking about that modular stack of like, you know, um, like how, how can I make like what layer on what layer should I launch my application? It's now yeah. no longer just like I'm launching it on Ethereum. It's like, well, maybe I launch it as its own L3 or I launch it yeah. on top of optimism and not, not arbitrary. Like the optionality of of how you build your product, your blockchain-based application yeah. is really just, it's it's kind of exploding and like you said, in, in customizability. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually shout out to the um, Roll Call series, which is a developer call series just for layer two protocols mm-hmm. um, to kind of create standardization between the layered ecosystems between the L2, um, between different L2s. Um, so I'd like to also see that kind yeah. of, of of standardization. So one of the things that I feel like people are really anticipating a lot this year mm-hmm. and um, kind of 
thinking is going to be a, a big deal when it happens mm-hmm. is the launch of Eigen DA. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking a little bit, you, you, one of the questions that you had mentioned that you're thinking about is like, where does value accrue the most? Mm-hmm. And when Eigen DA launches, do you suspect that, you know, it's going to, you know, materially impact or change kind of like, um, the, the layered ecosystem on Ethereum? Yeah. Um, is it going to impact um, roll-ups? Is it going to impact um, staking? Is it going to impact like validators? Like, I personally feel like for EigenDA, when it first launches, mm-hmm. it's not going to have a really big impact because of how limited deposits are. So like, how, like it, the number of people that can actually um, validate and, and restake to EigenDA will be capped. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be like all of Ethereum stake. It's probably yeah. going to be like maybe, you know, less Roger than five percent <laughs> of total val of total yeah. Ethereum stake. You know, actually getting additional rewards from um, EigenLayer, even though they are kind of increasing their caps um, yeah. pretty like faster than I expected, even yeah. before the launch of EigenDA. But I can't imagine. But anyway, so I think that like you know, the amount of economic security that's actually securing EigenDA will be very small small to start off with. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure if we need more DA layers right now. We've got, yeah. obviously, Ethereum's the most expensive. We've got Celestia. Very excited to see how Celestia will be. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, kind of um, how Celestia is going to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and then EigenDA. But there's also, like, Avail and a bunch of other DA layers. So do you think that EigenDA is going to be kind of like as big of a deal as people are talking about? I think competition is always healthy, right? And then... uh, (laughs) Period. Period. So, um, and I think that like, you know, there there are also different like intrinsic setup for each DA. And then I think uh, EigenDA potentially offers more customization towards whether you will have a DAG or not, and then how many validators in, in that, uh, how how you want to lower your cost for your DA um, by, by choosing smaller sets. So I think, you know, in a way for um, different rollups for different focus and different, I guess, use cases, for example, if you're building a rollup for games, for a very niche game, that's very different, I guess, consideration and design decision to be made comparing to if you're building a large-scale uh, DeFi application. And I feel like that level of, like, uh, I guess, degree of freedom is going to be helpful for when people choose between different DA. And I think another thing is that, like, the network effect, for it to be one of the AVSs on top of EigenLayer, depends on actually what their slashing condition is, which uh, I'm actually super curious about. Um, so, like, how I guess how people would uh, risk their underlying assets and to secure different type of AVSs, and then to understand like what that implication might be, and then that could also infect I guess the the supply side of EigenDA, right? Because I think it's going to be a two sided market, and then people will have different uh, incentive to participate. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, kind of as as background for our listeners, AVSs it stands for actively validated services, actively validated services. Um, but it's basically like what different kinds of protocols can you restake to? Yes. Um, you can restake and earn additional yield to EigenLayer, or sorry, not EigenLayer, <laughs> EigenDA, or you could restake to potentially a different AVS. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think that will probably be the the thing I'm most interested in seeing of yeah. like what are the slashing, like the additional slashing requirements that you're going to take? (laughs) That you're going to be, where? We burned them. (laughs) I'm going to lose all my money. No, let's not have a repeat of that. Um, Well, yeah, but like, obviously you are going to have more, um, you're going to have, you're going to have to take on higher risk. You're going to have to take um, your 32 ETH 
you know, that's staked on Ethereum right now, if you want to restake to EigenDA, mm -hmm. you're going to have to um, have higher slashing uh, penalties, like higher slashing, what do you call it? Like a punishment, you know, yeah. um, to keep Access yourself honest. Risk. Yeah, it has <laughs> risk. Um, and I wonder what those additional, like how extreme those additional requirements will be. And I think that will really, um, that will really dictate um, to what extent, you know, a validator node operator will want to even restake. And it has to be like, the rewards have to also be high enough that they kind of outweigh or like at least compete well with the risks and yeah. it's it's definitely a fascinating way to kind of um to kind of think rethink tokenomics like yeah. rethink the security rethink yeah rethink how tokenomics should be done for new protocols yeah. um you're no longer just like everybody bootstrap my pr protocol by um, staking in by basically restaking into this ecosystem. It's like, let's use the existing staking of Ethereum, um, but put all these additional like rewards and additional slashing, um, additional penalties, um, and see if we can repurpose that economic security of Ethereum. Um, but I think that just introduces so many, um, it, it's going to require a lot of trial and error to figure out. Um, and until you to really hit that right balance, yeah. um, you could see a bunch of, of imbalances yeah. that incentivize people to to either, um, that incentivize people maybe to rug the protocol. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, rug certain AVSs. We're not saying which one. Yeah. Um, just saying that this is a risk that everybody should be aware of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree with everything you said. Um, and also, I think in the, you know, like in some way, it's much easier to see how high the the reward slash yield is going to be, but it's much harder to interpret the risk that you're getting yourself involved. Yeah. So I think um, I guess more transparency towards that better uh, system to help people evaluate the risk that get involved into restaking with each AVSs. I think that's going to be critical and it's going to be helpful. Yeah, there was oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name, but I think there is a project that is only doing um you know information services for eigen da avs's mm -hmm. like people that are wanting to be eigen layer uh, node operators yeah um some kind of a monitoring or information service but uh, to your point like those those projects i think are going to be really yeah important anyone uh, who's yeah. credibly neutral will help us <laughs> well <laughs> speaking of being credibly <laughs> neutral i feel like it's almost impossible not only to be credibly neutral in the space but also to be um what's it called credibly aligned or yeah. like there's 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 this term going on in, in ethereum where you have to be ethereum aligned is that the term yeah um anyways aligned with the values of ethereum and it's it's just it's hard for me to understand what really are the values of, of such a decentralized and, and kind of diverse ecosystem um but anyways yeah. i so we talked a little bit about restaking mm -hmm. talked a little bit about um zero knowledge well i guess I mean, what are any other kind of like predictions or narratives um, regarding ZK or, yeah. or some of the other things that you're really looking forward to this year um, mm. that you want to kind of highlight to our listeners? Yeah, uh, I think we kind of skipped on that earlier. Um, I think Polygon released something yesterday about like uh, the aggregation layer. And I think that's going to be super exciting for the ZK space as well, mm. because I think um, I think that itself being uh, not so much like a narrative, but I think it's just like a way to, for people to think about how do all the different like ZK proofs coming from different proving system? How are they like, how are we thinking about like 
processing them? How can we make it more accessible? So I think for the aggregation layer, they're, um, I guess they're basically talking about how can we amortize the cost and then how can we bash the ZK proofs and then be able to um, verify them all at once and so that each verification is going to be cheaper. And I think that could be super interesting. I mean, like aside from Polygon, there's Neba who's also working on it. And then, um, and then there's also like a lot of the active discussion within the Ethereum community as well. So like, how do we actually make, you know, um, proving, like how do we actually abstract the proving um, verification and then make sure that like um, each proof costs less. However, you don't have to think about what these each proof are for. So the aggregation concept that mm -hmm. you're talking about um, that Polygon had, had come out with yesterday, yeah. mm -hmm. it's to do with, with, decreasing the proving to costs for zero knowledge um for zero, zero knowledge verification um so the the aggregation layer is just so that you can actually aggregate all different proofs and bash them instead of verify them individually so before you put them on chain you can actually like you can lower the cost for example if you want to verify something on, like through worldcoin uh each verification is going to cost you like I don't know, like 10 bucks. And then, however, if you're able to batch multiple uh, verification uh, proof, then it's going to cost $2 per. However, um, how many demands there is for a single application? Probably not so much in the beginning. And I think, you know, finding use cases uh, for ZK application and ZK infrastructure has always been a hot discussion. But if we have different ways that come up with like a different aggregation layer or aggregation middleware so that like um, proofs from multiple application, different use cases can be aggregated together before they've been, uh, so they can be bashed together and then verify all at once. And then, so it doesn't require so much traffic and volume from all different uh, application to, ha to happen. Huh. And then in that way, you can amortize the cost and then you can amortize the verification. You don't have to wait so long and then you can shorten the, um, the time period. Huh, that's wild to me. I, I, I thought, I mean, if, if what I'm understanding correctly, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's like taking the, the different proofs of, of transaction activity happening on different zero knowledge applications. Mm -hmm. And instead of each individual application or layer of protocol having their own, you know, zero knowledge, like almost, um, proving system, you yeah. just like put it onto a shared, shared zero knowledge proving settlement system yeah. you just are able to to put it all connect kind of um similar to what i think about batching transactions from layer twos to layer one yeah it's like instead of um having your own siloed ecosystem of you know transaction verification and finalization yeah. you're kind of piggybacking off yeah. of an existing one so the aggregation layer of zk that's wild to me because I, I i totally thought that all of the zero knowledge um, kind of proving activity happens on very customized circuits. Mm -hmm. So like being able to just like generalize them and have one aggregator, like be able to prove all of them is, that's crazy. Wow. That's, I think it's not yet a reality, but I think it's some a research topic that people have been working towards. And I'm by no, uh, by no means an expert, but um, I think the challenges that you mentioned about like uh, verifying um you know, proofs coming from different ZK circuits, I think that's absolutely right. But I think, you know, being the aggregation layer, the goal here is just to be able to consolidate not all of them, but certain type of um, ZK circuits uh, or, you know, certain, certain type of application so that they can actually verify, can do batch verification. 
Why I know. recursively prove um, a lot of the, um, I guess, how the how the batch verification will work is that, I guess, proof coming from different ZK circuits will be able to uh, verify all at once. And then um, potentially that will be a reality soon. That's very exciting research. Um, yeah. I hear I was thinking that like, you know, the the really the cutting edge of, of what we can expect out of like zero knowledge technology and zero knowledge proving systems is just like um, kind of like costs being obviously this is a way to reduce costs. But I, I, I definitely did not think that it was, you know, this um, we were getting to the place where we could kind of um, aggregate the the proving the proving the proofs the zk proofs from from different types of applications but that's so exciting to hear yeah it's kind of um, like it's kind of like a school bus if you're only waiting for your own school school uh bus and then you'll have to wait for a very long time but if you can take any bus from nearby schools it's gonna be shorter wait time hopefully you know infra costs will be lower i mean it's not a right analogy but it's kind of like you're thinking about how can we batch you know proofs from different systems, in this case, different schools, and then help them actually get back on chain. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it kind of makes sense, though. It's kind of like putting the logic of, you know, what we're doing with layer twos anyways. Yeah. Um, but the but interesting problem it. there is that, like, I guess with that aggregation layer, how is the sequencing going to work? And then is there going to be different, like, MEV paradigm involved? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'd very much like to, at the very least, see some of these zero knowledge rollups um, yeah. really get off the ground. I mean, independently, I would like to see just even some independent zero knowledge applications start to get some real usage and traction and would like to see um, some of these 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 projects really get off the ground in 2024. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, I guess this is sidetracking a little bit, but I do think that ZKP has a lot more use case outside of crypto as well. Totally. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Well, this has been such a lovely conversation, Yi. Yeah. And uh, truly, I learned, I feel like I've, I need to look more into aggregation. That will definitely be a follow-up item for me based on this conversation. Um, but any other kind of, of, you know, final kind of um, thoughts or kind of um, um, sentiments that you want to share about uh, where you see like the Ethereum ecosystem heading this year? Um, I think, you know, definitely, as you said, a lot of the focus, you know, is evolved like eigenlayer ecosystem overall. And then there has been a lot of uh, new different type of like restaking protocol um, in, in some way, um, a, a different way to think about it's kind of just different structural products. And then uh, not to sound too financy, but uh, I think that kind of helps people to understand what they can do with their stakes and all the liquid staking. Um, I think that's going to be one of the uh, main things that people are already anticipating. And then obviously with ZKP, I think that just uh, means to uh, further think about scaling and then post the EIP 4844 upgrades. Uh, people are thinking about how, you know, how much transaction is going to cost and then whether like transaction, you know, like the, the saving on the fee, is it going to be going back to the user um, or, you know, how do you how do we think about like margins, like operating margins for each L2 and then whether that's going to affect users decision or I mean developers decisions on which L2 that they, they, they deploy into. And then, so I think these are all super interesting. And then obviously, you know, um, I guess overall, there's a lot more interesting things going on in the stable coin space as well. And then going into real world assets and securitization of uh, assets. So I think 
it's it's gonna be a good year. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. Yes, yeah. a lot to look forward to this year. Yeah. Um, and definitely on this show specifically, we'll get into some of those topics like EIP four eight four four, especially when Dancun launches, um, activates on mainnet. We'll we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that, and we've got to have you back um, to talk a little bit more about stablecoins and some of these other topics yes, um, later this year. So, um, and speaking of real world assets, we actually have a report out on real world assets um, this week totally by Zach Picarni. <laughs> I did not set her up for that one, yeah. um, but um, again, you know, these are these are yeah topics that we'll be keeping a close eye on. Um, so. So thank you. Thank yeah, you. No, thank you for, for having me. This is super fun. No, I'm glad you were on. Uh, thank you for coming on to the show. And um, yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely have to have you back to 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 talk to, you know, check in again about some of the things we talked about, especially aggregation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, we should rewatch this episode a year from now and see how things are going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check in on our predictions. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Yi. And thank you so much for people who um, tuned in for the yeah. first episode of infinite jungle um this is a weekly series so we'll be back again next week um with another all core developer call summary and um hopefully another um amazing guest um <laughs> and um yeah and and if you like the episode please be sure to um subscribe please be sure to to like it i think if it goes on subscribe, youtube like it subscribe like, like do the things, share. click the buttons yes. um and yeah we'll see you guys next week